Hello, and welcome to episode 71 of the Vegan Business Tribe podcast with myself, David Pennell, co-founder of Vegan Business Tribe. And if you have a vegan business or you're just thinking about starting one, then Vegan Business Tribe is here to support you and to inspire you, not just to build a vegan business, but to build a successful business vegan business. And in this episode, we're going to get a little bit meta because we're doing a podcast about podcasting. And if you throw your mind back to episode 50, I was joined by three other vegan podcasting legends just to help us celebrate getting to our 50th episode. And one of those legends is my guest today, Jim Moore, who you'll probably know better as the long-running host of the Bloody Vegans podcast. But not a lot of people know that Jim is also the founder of Bloody Vegans Productions, which helps businesses, entrepreneurs, and even enthusiastic hobbyists launch and run their own podcast. And there's two reasons why I wanted to bring Jim onto the show. The first is, as Jim actually mentions in this session, when you run a podcast yourself, you get a lot of people coming to you asking for advice on how to start a podcast. And I get that quite a lot myself. So, I wanted to record an episode where we could answer a lot of those startup questions. But the second reason is that this recording with Jim, it's also part of our new masterclass section on the Vegan Business Tribe website. And that features video masterclasses with lots of different vegan experts, people just like Jim, to take your business to the next level. And we've been growing our Vegan Business Tribe Academy section of the website over the last couple of years. And that's where you're going to find all the exclusive member-only content, including our video series on how to scale up a vegan business, which interviews some of the large vegan brands who have gone and done it themselves. It includes panel discussions on funding and raising finance for a vegan business. And it also includes a whole section on how to run a successful crowdfunder. And in there, you'll find some interviews again with people who've gone out there and done it. But it also has the full archive of all the interviews that we've done with vegan businesses for Vegan Food and Living magazine too. There is just so much content for you to go at. So if you're serious about growing your vegan business, and you should be, because this is your activism, this is your way of moving the vegan cause forwards, then our academy, it's got so much hands-on useful information. And a a lot of it is video content. So if you like to watch instead of listening or reading, then it's all included within your monthly membership of Vegan Business Tribe. So if you want to find out more, then just head over to the website to find everything you get when you sign up as a member. And just know that at the same time as you signing up to Vegan Business Tribe, it's your membership that also allows us to keep putting out this podcast every single week and to keep championing the vegan business scene around the world. 
Okay, so let's get into this session with vegan podcasting legend Jim Moore about how to start your own vegan podcast. And we're going to talk about what microphone you should get, how to create a recording environment, and how to get your podcast listed on all the major platforms, such as Apple and Spotify. And again, If you want to watch the video version of this session, then you can go find it in the Masterclasses section on the website, along with lots of other great content. Okay, so let's go. Today, I am joined by who some people would call vegan podcasting legend Jim Moore of a bloody vegans podcast. And Jim, we're going to get a little bit technical because most people know you, Jim, as the longtime host of a bloody vegans podcast. But you've actually got your own production company behind that podcast, and it's called Bloody Vegans Productions. And that actually helps people launch and produce their own vegan podcast. So I wonder if you could just take a couple of minutes telling us a little bit about that. Yeah, of course. Uh, so yeah, founded back in October 21, uh, born out of obviously the experience I'd had in um, uh, hosting my own and producing my own, and also some some prior experience in in various technical fields. And um, I, I was getting, you know, friends and friends and folks that I knew kind of reaching out, asking for tips and tricks and bits and pieces and um, uh, edits and things like that. And I, I started to think, you know, maybe this this is something that I'd, um, I would I could do. And um, lo and behold, I sort of fell into having a little portfolio of clients and then it took over the day job. And and, and so here I am doing it, doing it full time now, which is, you know, a bit of a dream come true. Um, but yeah, that, that that's essentially it. And I produce podcast for all kinds of different people some people who have no idea how to to get started at all and some people who actually have lots of ideas and are very technical but just simply don't have time um as as you know it's it can be a lengthy process sometimes and that's always the thing when you get known for having your own podcast a lot of people will come and start asking you for advice isn't it so the fact that you've pretty much monetized that and made that into a business that, that that's amazing yeah, I mean it's it's still like I say it still feels a bit of a bit dream come true kind of territory and I I can't quite believe that that's what I do. In fact, uh, somebody you know in a formal sort of setting the other day, I think it was a doctor or somebody said what do you do for a living? And I said I, I I sort of reluctantly kind of said I'm a podcaster, I think, like as if like that's a and she did look at me as if to say is that a thing? Is that a real thing? Um <laughs> And I and I probably looked at her back as if to say, I'm not sure, but I'm doing it. So, so there we go. That is absolutely amazing. So can I ask you, Jim, then? So when you first start talking to someone, so if someone's thinking about launching their own podcast, what's the first question they usually ask you? So what, what kind of discussion do you normally start out with? Do, do you know, ev- pretty much everybody... The thing that they're 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 consumed with is usually the technical. They're so worried about it being, you know, incredibly difficult to do, and so on and so forth. And we'll get into that. You know, it's it's a sliding scale. You can put something out that you've recorded on your phone if you want to, and have it out that afternoon, pretty much, um, right through to you can you know build your own studio. But um, I tend to sort of then the, my follow up question to that is what what's your format? What's your podcast actually going to be? And nine times out of 10, people say it's going to be a one-on-one interview. I've got all these people lined up and we're going to do one-to-one interviews. Now, obviously, I do that myself and probably because I didn't have me two year, two and a bit, three years down the line saying, 
are you sure you want to do that? <laughs> like, I love it. And there are so many, so many benefits. But I do try and encourage people to think about that. There's actually quite a few different types of podcasts out there. Yes. And there are an awful lot of interview podcasts out there. And there are, as you'll know, there are some very clear pros and some very clear cons to doing a, a, a an interview-based uh, show. So, um I tend to get into that conversation and we talk about the kind of the seven types, if you like, of, of podcasts that, I mean, a podcast can be anything, but in broad strokes, I'd say there's kind of seven categories that it could, that it could be. So we get into that first and then, then get back into the, you know, how do you record and let's have a look at your room and what's your, have you got a mic yet and all those kind of things. So it really is that kind of holistic approach to, you know, helping yeah. someone set up that podcast, which is brilliant to hear. But let's actually start to get technical, though, because, I'm, I mean, that's going to be the main thrust of this session. So when I think back to when we started our first podcast, and either fortunately or unfortunately, and, <laughs> and I say that because I had a little bit of broadcasting and recording experience, but I'd always done it in a professional studio. And that's why I say unfortunately or, or, or unfortunately. <laughs> so, so that's great when you can do that, you know, just turning up, having someone else worry about making it sound good. But that actually gave me a really skewed idea of what I thought you needed to set up recording audio. You know, I was actually looking at the spare room thinking, well, we'll have to put some stud walling in for soundproofing and all this <laughs> <laughs> but that's just not the case, is it? You don't actually have to do a lot to create a decent recording environment. No, absolutely not. Like, um, I, I, you know, I've often said to people, like, if you, you can, you could make some, you could make a relatively bad mic sound good with a decent enough room. And a decent enough room doesn't necessarily mean building a studio either. It's just think about what's around you. I always sort of ask people to kind of like look around them and see if if they were to you know, almost if they were to shout at a wall or or even if they were to to throw a bouncy ball at it, you know, would it come back to them? <laughs> and uh, although I'm not suggesting people throw balls around their, their rooms, you, you start to get a sense of like what surfaces are hard, what surfaces are reflective, and then how do you start to treat those? And treating them might be as simple as, you know, putting a duvet over them, putting a blanket over them, those kind of things. But I, I often say to people, before you run away getting amazing microphones and things like that and spending all your money on preamps and, you know, Rodecaster Pros and all these kind of things, just, just worry about your room first and think about what microphones you you have even built-in mics in a in a set of headphones i've heard recorded relatively well when the when everything around it is is in place so you know that i think that's a key consideration is you might see it as scary to think about those things but actually it, it makes the barrier to entry pretty low you know any anybody can anybody can pretty much do it and we're in the golden age of technology right now there are so many um, entry points uh, to microphones, to recording systems, to all kinds of different things, to digital audio workstations, all all these things that you you hear about that you need. Often they're much lower cost than you think, are much simpler to use, and all those kind of things. So, um, yeah, I think it it can sound intimidating, and like you say, I can understand why that would be a bit of a almost a bit of a curse because you, you're imagining you know having the having the full full treatment on the walls and the amazing mics and you know cradles and all the whole the whole works and it just doesn't need to be the case yeah i have to confess that i think the first maybe even the first 15 to 20 episodes of a vegan business tribe podcast were recorded in lisa's walk-in wardrobe <laughs> you know, simply yeah. because we we had all these you know heavy winter coats hanging down it, it was just a real dead space for audio but just moving on to the microphones and and, and this is always 
a little bit of a hard conversation to have because, gosh, I spent probably months reading microphone reviews and I just got complete analysis paralysis, you know, when I was trying to find, uh, you know, which mic to buy. And some, you know, guides, they say you need to buy a condenser microphone for really good results. Others say that's going to be too sensitive and you need a dynamic microphone. So where do you start when you're looking at microphones? I mean, first of all, what's the actual difference between a condenser and a dynamic mic? Yeah, if we start with like a condenser and a dynamic, and I won't necessarily get into all of the the exact components and what's different, but no, please do, Jim. <laughs> but ultimately, <laughs> a condenser mic has got a very there's a diaphragm inside it that moves when air passes through it uh, or into it, and the air being from your voice, and that is very very sensitive on a condenser mic, and on a dynamic mic it is less sensitive for varying kind of reasons, um, and the 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 thing i suppose to to take from that little bit there is that a condenser mic can give you a more detailed more accurate uh, picture of the sound in front of it the there are some downsides with that so you you could you could read that first point and think okay well i'm off to go and get my condenser mic right now but there are there are things to consider most people uh, in the world of podcasting and, and and a lot of actually um, professional radio stations and things like that that you where you hear recorded voices are using dynamic microphones. So there is actually a familiarity to the sound of a dynamic microphone that um, you probably are when you picture what your podcast is going to sound like. You're probably picturing that sound, you're, and it's the sound of a dynamic microphone, probably something similar to the one that I'm talking into now. And it gives you that very rounded, uh, quite bassy, um, warm-sounding voice. And that's because it's kind of the, if you like, that where it's losing some detail, it's kind of smoothing, if you like, the the vocal, um, which actually kind of gives you that hallmark sound. So a, a dynamic mic in 99% of cases, I would say, is probably the route to go unless you're in the studio where you used to you used to be you know if you're in the radio studio that is absolutely beautifully treated and and it got the perfect setup then maybe consider a condenser mic if you're talking about i also want to record acoustic guitars and things like that i want to actually do instrumentation then i'd say okay let's consider a condenser mic but if we're talking about that my only purpose for this thing is to record a podcast then i'm nine times out of ten i'm talking to people about dynamic mics yeah absolutely and i think the truth is once you've actually recorded your podcast at home and once it's been compressed and uploaded in a podcast format the end result really no matter which mic you use it's going to be pretty similar to, to some extent, yeah. I mean, the, the, there's definitely the audio file in me will definitely say, yeah, you will, you will, if you have, you should get an XLR mic and you should get really nice preamps and you should get a Shure SM7B or a, um, you know, one of these, one of these kind of mics. But uh, having said that, I, I don't necessarily think that that's that's wholly true in terms of in terms of like getting a, a really a good listenable audio product and actually i tend to start when i'm talking to people about you know let's look at your budget and a little bit of your kind of your technical comfort as well i think there's a there's a bit of an element there because i'm not going to say to somebody get yourself a, a shore sm7b a roadcaster pro and a and a and a fet head preamp unless they they feel very comfortable in using that equipment 
because ultimately what 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 you know my goal is and the and the, hopefully the person's goal is that they keep podcasting you know there's a crazy stat about 90% of podcasts don't go beyond episode 10 or something like that wow and and i think most of the time that is because people get they realize it's time consuming they realize it's quite technical they thought it was going to sound better than it did they ran out of ideas you know there's all these kind of different things and i want to try and remove each one of those barriers for people so that they feel comfortable to continue and they want to do it so often i'm saying to people actually yes if you've got the but you've got five six hundred thousand pounds whatever it is and you want to spend that that's cool we can talk about that but how comfortable are you using that and especially, you know, we'll get, I suppose it's a good time to get to get onto the subject of like USB versus XLR, because I think that's what that's a that's a big one. So an XLR mic, for folks who don't know, if you've ever seen any band play on a stage, they are using XLR mics. You know, that that's the 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 standard across the across audio. Um XLR mics have a, a different connection, a larger round connection with three prongs in the center of it. I'm using one now. This is an XLR mic. They require a um, an audio interface of some description. So I mentioned, I've mentioned a couple of times a thing called a Rodecaster Pro. Um, that is a, a particular device that essentially you can plug the XLR input to one end and you can plug that into your computer. So it's taking this analog signal, this diaphragm that's moving up and down and converting it into a digital signal and putting it in your computer. So it's it's a file that can be read and uploaded and all the rest of it. What USB is doing is ultimately skipping that step. So it's it's saying, here's a digital signal, there's a digital signal in your computer, job done. Again, the audio file in me says, well, if you're doing that, then obviously there is going to be a loss of audio quality. Um, however, I think it the, the gap is is narrowing, and particularly as some of the big mic manufacturers, the likes of Shaw, the likes of Rode, have... Um, have realised that this pod, this home podcasting market is is huge, and so they have invested an awful lot of money uh, into product development. And I think if I if I'm right, I can only see the bottom of it. But the microphone that you're using there is a USB and XLR um, from Shaw, and it's a fantastic new product that they have. And it, it appeals to both markets. It appeals to the person who's just started out and like, just let me plug this into my computer and hit record. And it also appeals to somebody who is a bit of an audiophile, knows sure, knows their products and wants to take it further as they go down the track. Um, so there are options. So I tend to talk about budget first and, that, and then, you know, let's get the best in the category that you're most comfortable in. That makes sense. Now, Jim. I am stunned that just by seeing the top of my microphone, you have correctly identified not just the make, <laughs> but you know the, the the model number as well. Um, and it's interesting, you know, talking about these different brands. And and, and just to mention, you know, uh, I think dynamic microphones are usually quite a lot cheaper than the condenser ones as well. You know, which, which yeah, sometimes 100%. you know will dictate your decision for you. But each microphone make really has its diehard fans. It's 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 a little bit like camera manufacturers as well. You know, yeah. some people swear by Rode, some by Blue Yeti, some by Shaw. Mm -hmm. But again, you know, they're all quite similar microphones. So sometimes it's just good to actually look at the features of each and see which ones you're going to use. So you just very well identified that I'm using this um, Shaw MV7, which is both an XLR mic and a USB mic. I, I can actually record, you know, from two different areas. And that just gave me a lot of versatility. And that's kind of what I was looking for. But a lot of the time, that's actually what dictates how your decision should be made, isn't it? You know, perhaps don't don't care so much about the manufacturer as long as it's a recognized manufacturer, but just look 
look at the actual individual features and, and see which ones you, you will actually use and find useful. Exactly that. Exactly that. It's all, it's all about, you know, if, if it's going to become a barrier to you, we've all done this in the past with other in other walks of life. You talk about cameras. I'm probably guilty of this in the past with um, photography. I've got more into it as I've started to do video podcasting, which we'll talk about. But firstly, when I started doing uh, photography, uh, I, you know, went out and bought what I thought was going to be the, the best camera, realised I had no idea how to use it. And so therefore it was ultimately you know, fa- fairly useless to me at that point. You know, it became more useful. But actually, the ca- just like the old, the camera in your pocket is is the best camera. I think there's an element of that with with mics insofar as, you know, like you say, pick a mic that you, you're going to find usable and is going to cover what you want it to do. You know, like ultimately, if it's anything pitched at podcasters these days is, a, is probably a good place to start. And like I say, that market is is really growing so there are a few you mentioned blue yeti there um blue generally and they, they they've got a compass mic which is about 50 pounds which actually I, I used for a different audio project years ago and isn't a bad starter mic and is quite cheap um even if you actually uh, uh, this is an, an xlr mic but just um one that, that you don't another thing that people do is they they look at mics that they think look like podcasters mics <laughs> So I, I hear this a lot as well. So, so people will look at something that looks roughly this shape and they'll think, well, I, all the podcasts I've seen on YouTube and whatnot, they use something that looks like this. or Kind of lozenge shapes, aren't they? Yeah, that yeah. kind of lozenge shape. And um, I forget people are, I should know that really, but people are listening to this, so I should probably explain a bit better. So exactly that kind of lozenge shape. However, uh, I'll give a little shout out to a specific microphone that you shouldn't overlook and is is just £99 and I just think is a fantastic all-round dynamic mic, which is an SM58 uh, by Shaw. Now, if you were to ask anybody to draw a microphone, they would draw this microphone. It's the, the, the standard. If you've seen a stand-up comedian or somebody in a, a presenting something at a festival or something, they have been holding a Shure SM7, uh, SM58. I almost guarantee it. It's like the standard of microphones. And it's been around, I forget, but it's like 60 or 70 years. This design hasn't changed. It's exactly the same. And it is so versatile so rugged it sounds great for podcasts if you if you've got a decent room great for podcasts obviously you need an interface like a a thing called a scarlet 2i2 something to plug in an xlr scarlet's a good option but there are others um but that's a great place and it's 99 pounds but people don't often think it's a good option because it doesn't look like what they think a podcaster's mic should look like but it is absolutely great so you know don't, don't be fooled by what things look like and things like, like you say, look at the features, look at the usability, the price point. Um, in your case, there's a, almost a bit of upgradability, you know, and think about what manufacturers are serving up to podcasters because they they kind of, you know, they research this stuff. They, they understand the world that those sort of newbie podcasters are in and the, the fears and all the rest of it. And they also know what those people want their podcast to sound like broadly because most people want that broadcast tone, you know. So, um, yeah, look at those options. 
Absolutely. So I think just around that section up, and it, it's, it's an important conversation to have because I think this is actually one of the big barriers to entry to a lot of people. You know, they, they almost get stuck at trying to decide what microphone to buy and it just end up buying none. So most people are going to buy a dynamic microphone. Most people are going to be led by, you know, how much they actually want to spend. And most people are just going to plug it straight into their computer th- through a USB. And as long as we get somebody to that point, they've got a good chance yeah. of actually starting their podcast. But just, just moving past the microphone, I have to admit, regardless of the microphone you're using one thing that that i found has really helped improve the quality of audio is actually spending a little bit of time on your actual recording technique so your you know your actual vocal technique and there's a little bit of an art you know simply just to positioning yourself with the microphone isn't there yeah i mean uh, just to talk about a a basic obviously like things like pops and and so on so for pops or plosives for people who don't who don't um, who don't know? It's the P's and the B's ultimately. So that's mm-hmm. what you're looking out for. So um, if you do your Peter Piper picked a pot of pickled peppers, there you go. Um, hopefully, I didn't pop too much there. Um, I have a pop filter uh, on. I'm really testing out my pop skills here uh, on on my mic. But it's also a little bit of technique as well. So think about your positioning to your mic. If you're if you're right up on the mic and you're you're you know you're really going for that broadcaster tone, then you really really need to be careful on those p's because you're gonna it doesn't take much um but if you're if you're just talking at normal length and it's a little bit easier uh if you don't have a pop filter like like mine you can make one it's it's really really simple um just any kind of you know a pair of old tights or something like that that you've got in the house and a a wire ring if you can wrap it around there you can i've seen people fashion they're pretty straightforward but they're only a few pounds usually off amazon or somewhere like that um other other places are available in fact don't buy it from amazon buy it from somewhere else um and uh and um yeah they're, they're great and that will save you a lot of a lot of heartache with that but but yeah think about your positioning i often say um practice you know like for for people just just hit record and practice do the peter piper and all that kind of stuff and try it at different angles at different tones and see what your microphone picks up because microphones have different um we call patterns so a a different area that they will be able to pick up a vocal from so if i i'm just going to ruin this deliberately if i record from the side here that's not that's not going to work um so that's because i've got a cardoid pattern on my microphone which essentially is like a heart shape that comes out from the mic so if i try and talk at it from the back it's not going to work so practice with your mic, record, um, listen to what those things sound like. Um, the more, I think this is a general rule of thumb actually with, with everything. The more you can practice, listen carefully, learn, learn to tune your ear a little bit, but the more you do that up front, the editing and all the rest of it just becomes you know, day and night easier, you know? Um, and you know, if you're getting me to edit, it does save me a lot of, lot of time. So, um, not that that should be your, um, your, you know, your, your, your particular goal, but, but it, you know, it, if you're doing it yourself, certainly you want to save yourself time on the edit. If you want to save yourself time on the edit, then don't give yourself audio problems. Another one I'll just mention, cause this is a, a, an interesting one about angles of microphone is um if you if you're prone to a little bit more of a, a quite a, a more nasal sound you've got higher frequencies in your voice consider like if you've got a microphone like this um putting it up higher and tilting it downwards towards your chest so you're talking more up and in and if you've uh, so that way you'll get more bass so ultimately you'll get more bass out of the out of your chest if you've got a, a deeper voice and it's causing you almost too many low frequencies 
have it pointed more at your nose. So, because obviously everything is airflow, you know, it's all airflow from your nose and airflow from your, and, and so the frequencies are maybe a tiny bit, but they are, they're a tiny bit different. So just little things like that, but ultimately practice, just, just practice, record, listen, learn to tune that ear and then your edit will be, it's like the old measure, measure twice, cut once, you know, that your edit will be a lot easier afterwards. Absolutely. I could not agree with that whole idea of testing and listening back. You know, that is such a big part of improving. I mean, not just from a performance factor. You know, uh, I was always given the advice if you're performing um, and recording videos and things like that, spend a lot of time forcing yourself to watch yourself back just to yeah. just to improve. But also from the technical point of view, because that's something that I've struggled with a little bit because I tend when I'm doing my podcast to get really excited and worked up and, you know, and I'm always shouting into the microphone and I've got to be really really careful that I'm not getting clipping and, and overloading the mic and get, do that but some mics actually come with their own software that compensates for that you know I, this one here I know especially it's got an audio limiter worked into it so if it is going to overload it, it would just stop that clipping effect coming through too so we, we've just drifted into software so let's continue along with that so once you've got your setup and you've, you've done that testing you actually then need to record your podcast into something you know, you know yeah, it, yeah. it needs to be some software behind <laughs> It. And I, I have to admit that, that I tend just to use the built-in audio recorder in Windows because I, I know I'm going to be putting it into some editing software afterwards. But there is lots of good and even free software that you can use to record a podcast, isn't there? So what what, what do you tend to recommend to people? Um, it depends. If, if they're a PC user, obviously I'm looking for something a bit more platform agnostic. So, you know, something like Audacity is a, is a good one. That's that's one that's um, free, open source, you know, it's, it's out there. Um, if they're a Mac user uh, or even an iOS user, so they use iPads and so on, then GarageBand, you know, is, is a fantastic one. Um, Windows has built-in audio recorders, uh, like, like you've said. Um, and if, I mean, if they're coming to me directly, then what I'll tend to do is just give them something very basic to get them to hit record on really so it doesn't really matter what it is because they're not going to edit in it I'm, I, then i'll just get them to upload to me uh their file and then job done sort of thing but if if you're looking for something that kind of does both you know that will record and then you're going to actually edit the whole piece and you're going to put your music in and so on and so forth that's called a digital audio workstation or a door you might have heard people say then there are there are loads out there and there's countless lists online that will say you know the top ten, but Audacity is a really good place to start if you are a PC um, a PC user. If you're a Mac user, GarageBand is is free. You just download it from the App Store if it's not already on your Mac, and it is pretty much. I mean, it's pretty much Logic Light. I use Logic myself. It's you know used in in many professional settings, so you know you're getting a lot of the same features from there. But Audacity similarly is very very functional too. Does everything that you will need and probably way more if you're new to it. And I think if you're using something like Audacity or GarageBand or something like that, what they're actually quite good at is they give you a visual monitor of your audio levels when you're recording. So you've got that little bit of extra confidence that yeah. you are actually recording <laughs> and, and that you're not, you, you know, you, you're not too loud. You're not clipping out, you know, all that's on the screen in front of you when you're actually recording. And yeah. that's, that's, that's re really useful. I mean, you can, you, you, you mentioned logic and things like that. You can use more expensive software. And because I've got a creative background, I've got an Adobe, you know, creative uh, cloud subscription and that comes with with something like or, or, um, Adobe Audition. And that's a far more powerful editing and effects tool. And it's probably overkill for mo most podcasters. But when you've got software like that, that's when you can do a little bit of the repair work sometimes. It's where you've got filters to cut out background noise. And it's also where you've got the, the kind of filters to actually really make something sound like a broadcast voice, isn't it? 
hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, like every client I have, I have a pretty. I, I, I what I do is I make them an audio profile with their particular what we call plugins. Yes, and the, and the word plugins comes from um, the old days of analog when you were literally plugging something into a to a, a, a chain of uh, effects on a tape. Um, so it's very, you know very different to now, but the, the, the terminology is still the same. And ultimately, like something like I mean, GarageBand even has them, but just not as fully functioned. But say in Logic or Pro Tools or Audition, you'll have things like equalizers. So you know what I'll often do is listen to what we call the audio floor, so the sound of just the silence in that person's room, and see where it's where it's actually producing some noise because every room is producing something. Um, and so sometimes if I get quite a, a, a roomy recording, I can see exactly which frequencies I need to cut out and I'll do that with an, e- with an equaliser and try not to damage the voice and so on and so forth. So you've got things like equalizers, compressors, um, noise gate, you know, that, that, so I'll, I'll set a profile for each individual client and say, right, you, you know, this is the, the one for, you know, John, this is the one for Carly, this is, you know, and so on. And so it's, it's pretty pretty standard unless they go and do something really different or record out in the field or something like that um so yeah but but, but i mean you don't need any of that to start with you know your first, i think your first starter for 10 is you know just get your volumes right get your room right things like that and uh, get comfortable with your microphone and then if you're looking to tweak and you're looking to get better and you're looking to improve then you can start thinking okay well how do i how do i get rid of that little sound there that happened and again just tinker and and try um and there's usually way i mean most most bad recordings i've received i've been able to do something with so <laughs> you know you you can you can do it and if if in doubt um, you know, obviously there's lots of resources online, but if in doubt, you know, you can, you can get somebody else's help, but, um, but you, there, you know, that if you, if, if you want to spend time on it, you can, you can fix most things, but go back to my old, you know, measure one, measure twice, cut once. I think, you know, the more you do up front, probably the less you have to do anyway in the back. Yeah. Get that recording right first time, you know, yeah. um, but I think most people will improve naturally, you know, when yes. they start recording. I mean, it, it, if I go back to the very first episode of, of ours, it, it wasn't bad, but I, 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 I just learned so much in that intervening time. And so it's really important to not let that stop you just to throw yourself into it, start doing to it, and you will naturally improve as you do it. So, I mean, we're talking there specifically about recording your own voice and, you know, getting some good results out of that but as you said right at the top of the show you know many of the podcasts are guest podcasts and usually it's rare that you can have the guest you know be in the same space that you are so most of us do our interviews online and you know it's exactly what we're doing now i think we've got really used to just jumping onto zoom or teams to talk to people online but yeah would you record you know would you actually recommend doing that or you know using those sort of um, almost web conferencing systems to record yourself and a guest on a podcast i mean they, they've got they've definitely got better you know i think the pandemic's like pushed every pushed every one of these companies you know yeah. further down the track in terms of thinking about video quality and thinking about audio quality because they're not just um an occasional tool they are now the way we do the way we do things so there's definitely been an improvement however and somebody may be able to correct me if i'm wrong but um they what they do is ultimately produce you one audio file you know whether it's an m4a or an mp3 or whatever the the type of file they will give you one so a mixed together um audio file which um you know a client of mine did this the other the other day and recorded a, an interview on zoom 
and there was there was two major things going on here so one is that the guests uh, levels were incredibly low and my clients levels were very high and the other one was my client had a really bad cold <laughs> and um and didn't have a lot of muting going on so so um so ultimately what i had at the end to edit was far more difficult to edit because i had one one audio file with massive peaks where where my client was talking and really low lows but it's all in one file so you've got it it's essentially like trying to undo a casserole you know it's 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 a bit it's a bit difficult yeah so i can i can give you a little bit of correction on there so this is fairly new to zoom but if you go digging in the settings if you and you absolutely have to go digging down into the settings to find it there is the option to record separate audio files for each person yeah and and i agree with you that's really important because what i actually tend to do is i I do like zoom and and i like zoom just for the the ease of use because i i think the person that you're interviewing they've probably used it before they don't necessarily have to install any software or they'll have zoom installed but if you can separate out those audio files what i normally do is just record a separate audio file of myself so i've actually got another little bit of software running at the moment to record my audio and i probably won't use the zoom audio but it's it's in two separate files so if you do get that nightmare scenario where you know someone's really loud or they've got a lot of background noise you can edit their file separate to yours and and it it won't really affect the all over quality well, that is great news, and exactly as I, as I was saying, exactly the the point, um, the, the, exactly the, the the sign of progress that I think in the, in these companies, in the likes of Zoom and so on, and you know, for for that reason of early experiences, I, I hadn't used it for a long time. So, you know, I'm glad you taught me something there. Just on that point, though, th- there is better software for doing that. I mean, Zoom really compresses the audio, but there are things called double enders, aren't there, which actually record a separate audio file on your computer and on the person you're talking to's computer, and then it uploads it to a server afterwards. Absolutely. So there are a couple of uh, big names in this this field. There are there are quite a few uh, companies, but I'll, I'll mention a couple. I use one called Riverside, riverside.fm. Um, Riverside ultimately gives you um, two waveform files as opposed to two MP3s. So a waveform is essentially going to give you a lot more detail. It's a bigger file, um, but is is a higher quality file, higher quality audio. MP3s are compressed. Uh, waveforms are less compressed. They're not quite lossless, but they're they're better than um, an MP3. So you get two of those, and you also get video files as well. So if you want to record the video for your podcast, which many people do now, even if you're just recording it for um, social media purposes, you know, to make clips of your podcast as advertising for the show and so on, um, it will give you two video files as well, and then you can put those together in your editing software of choice, you know, whether it's iMovie and GarageBand if you're a Mac user or um, uh, or if you want the more higher end ones, you know, Logic and Final Cut or whatever it is that you use, the Adobe Suite, whatever, you can you can edit those after the fact and then you can get rid of some of those nasty bits that I, that I was talking about there. But, you know, I mean, it's, it's a really great shout to just, again, we're talking about just worrying about where you're at right now. If you're zoom can do like like you said if you if you can dig down into the settings of and get the ultimately all you're trying to in my view all you need is two audio files however you do that um i've even known people it's it's more complex to do obviously and i think you made a great point about you want to make sure your guest is comfortable with whatever they're using if you're if you're interviewing but i've even heard people get their guests to record 
on a piece of on a, on their own yes. bit of software on one side, and they will record on their side, and they'll just use Zoom just to have a conversation on. Um, and then they'll get them to upload the files to them. So there are ways to get really high quality without paying the prices of Riverside or the other one I was going to mention was Squadcast. Um, so you don't you don't have to do that, but those are really great solutions at giving you something kind of ready-made and, and that's done and is pretty easy to use. It feels a bit Zoom-like to the, the person on the other end. You have a link um, that you that you can customize and is always your link. Um, so it's it's pretty straightforward to use, and they even actually the likes of Riverside have some editing capability in there too. So they'll give you like a very basic online editor, um, and some of some vocal effects as well. Things like um, sort of background noise suppression and stuff. That I mean, they're not you know they're not fine tuning kind of tools. They're not like using um, Audition or Pro Tools or Logic, but. But they are really good if you just want an off-the-shelf, like get rid of some of that background noise for me and give me a podcast in a video format and an audio format and give it to me half an hour after I've done the recording and I don't have to do anything, provided I don't have to cut out anything that I shouldn't have said, you know, those kind of things. <laughs> Again, but this is all great stuff, but don't let that hold you back. You know, no. if, if at the moment you've just got Zoom, you're familiar with Zoom and you want to get yeah. recording, start using that and then just be open to evolving your podcast. You know, spend a little bit of time looking into these things, but don't let those things, let you know, let it be a barrier to entry. I think so many people these days, we're used to the audio quality of Zoom now. And as long as it's clear, as long as people can, you know, just tune into it, Get that finished product out there and then invest the time later. Once you know you're going to keep going with that podcast, once you know it's actually, you know, worthwhile for you to be doing, then invest that time and that energy and a little bit of money into, you know, improving the quality of that. Um, you just again drifted into that idea of um, video podcasts as well and video versus yeah. audio. And this was one question that we really wrestled with when we started the Vegan Business Tribe podcast. You know, should we do an audio only podcast or should we do uh, video only? Now, we settled into mainly just doing audio because the vast majority of our episodes are just me. You know, they, they are solo episodes. Um, but I think it's also because the little recording area that we've built ourselves, it doesn't look very good on video. It's got blankets hanging down the back in the background. And so if I want to record video like we're doing today, I, I do that at my desk and the audio isn't quite as good an environment. But I guess if you are looking to record video as well, it does take a little bit more time. It takes a bit more editing, but you've got the option then of doing more with it, haven't you? You, you can upload those onto a YouTube channel. You can reuse the content. You can use little uh, snippets. So would you recommend people do think about doing a video of their podcast as well as the audio? Yeah, 100% would. I mean, the, the, the stats for how many people, um, and I've only got the US stats, but I think in the US there's something like 50% of people who listen to podcasts also will watch at least one of their kind of weekly diet of podcasts so that and that's growing you know the likes of um whether you uh, about the viewpoint or whatever but the likes of joe rogan and so on have been quite pioneering in that space and and it's become now like almost ubiquitous that you expect to see you know it's like diary of a ceo steve bartler's podcast and so on you expect to see these clips that are all over social media of video podcasts so I definitely consider it. If nothing else, if the only reason you consider it is because um, it, of the repurposable content, you know, like so so many folks who are trying to get their name out, their services, their expertise, whatever they're trying to get out into the world, they are 
they spend an awful lot of time frantically looking for content to to put out there for you know I've got to plan out my content on Planoly or whatever for the next 30 days and I think if you have a if you have a podcast and you're already investing time in it recording an interview with somebody if you can get the visuals in whatever way even if it is like you like you said earlier you all you're doing is hitting the record on the zoom and getting the zoom video and and you know that's pretty much all you're doing it still gives you something that you can reuse and so on and so forth so i'd almost say why not and again same point with the the audio the first one you do is probably not going to be great and you'll get better and better and better at it and you'll realize that actually maybe it won't be quite as good as my blanket den but if i put one blanket in front of me then at least i'm not getting that bounce back there and you know if i haven't got a full lighting setup but if i had you know a lamp that i put there that's going to make me look slightly better and so you know you, you start to you know you start to get better and better at this kind of stuff and and a lot of people nowadays anyway are are, are used to the idea of that kind of content creation to some extent of like making video look better in fact i'd say people are probably more comfortable with making a video of some description or the basic principles of videoing themselves than they are of recording their audio if you like so if if anything it's probably just borrow the principles you know how many people do you see on zoom calls now who've got ring lights and things going on so you know i i'd definitely consider it however you do it even if it's a basic zoom option great uh if you do like a riverside squadcast great too if you go one step further and actually you know like we said we're, we're separately recording audio you can separately record your video too like i've got a, a video camera set up that records me so i don't use the riverside one because it compresses it too much and so on so so it you know you can go right down the rabbit hole with this stuff but don't let any of it be a barrier like my, i mean my first episode is a terrible um of my audio podcast absolutely and certainly my first video one was was a real like oh this is this doesn't look great at all but <laughs> you know jim matter. i'm gonna go and find that i'm gonna go yeah go for it it's useful to do that as well because your audience will come with you on that journey it is you know, perfectly acceptable now to build things in public. And I think people like to see that a little bit. So yeah, I'm agreeing with you 100%. Don't get too hooked up on it. You know, you will naturally evolve. And, you know, as I've said several times now, once you've proven to yourself that you're going to keep doing this and proven that you're getting um, a lot back from doing it as well, then that's the time to start investing in it as well. So we are logically here walking through the process of creating a podcast. So it, it if you're following along at home, you, you, you've pretty much now recorded your podcast, you've got it edited, you've, you've output your, your MP3 file from your software. So the next thing is that little bit of magic that most of us don't really understand before we really start getting into it. But it's also the barrier for many people for actually doing a podcast. And that's what to actually do with that file once you've recorded it and once you've output it. You know, where to actually upload that file so that people can listen to it. Because the last thing you want to do is actually just upload and mp3 to your own website isn't it yeah pretty much i mean ultimately where you want it is apple Podcasts and spotify and stitcher and overcast and all the other podcast catchers that exist in the world and it's it's interesting that they are called podcast catchers or podcast providers they're not um 
they're not really kind of podcast libraries, if you like, and they're certainly not hosts. It and and I'll, I'll talk about the distinction. So I think most people think that Apple Podcasts store all your podcasts, and Spotify will store all your podcasts, and you have to give them all to them individually. And you kind of don't really. That's not kind of how it works. You're, you need a podcasting host site of some description. So you can do this on your own website, although I would probably advise against it. I'm going to um, hugely advise against that. <laughs> I mean, you give me a little bit of a panic there. you know? Because yeah, I mean, I've seen people do it. I know, absolutely. But I mean, the thing but, with streaming, so, so streaming takes up huge bandwidth and you will likely get banned by your internet host. In fact, I think most of them say that you can't use your web hosting for streaming. So, so yeah, I, I, I have seen people doing it as well, but I would highly recommend you do you yeah. don't look at that route yeah don't don't yeah just don't do it go to a podcast host um do do some research over which ones there are so many some are free um you can go to somebody like anchor who are owned by spotify so it depends on whether you want to neil young it or not and and not do that up to you uh but anchor's free um, you can go for paid routes like Podbean, Captivate, Buzzsprout. There's all kinds of different ones. And they usually have different tiers depending on the service that they offer. So, And that service is usually um, bandwidth is one. So it will be like, you know, you can have unlimited amounts of unlimited number of episodes unlimited audio files on on our services or you can have five episodes at a free tier that kind of thing um and obviously if you only want five episodes then you have you're gonna have to think about almost like rotating old ones out and so on but that's not a bad idea if you just want to start things out you know just to get five in see how it feels and so on that's that's fine to do that but go to your go, go and have a look for those different podcast uh, sites and look at what they're offering that's the crucial thing because they'll all offer something slightly different obviously if it's free it's it's offering a lot less than say like a captivate which offers a fair amount uh a buzzsprout offers quite a bit podbean offers me quite a bit too i use podbean personally um so it, it, i i would say they they're all they're all in the same kind of wheelhouse it just depends on what you specifically want from them some are, are better suited to people who also want to upload video to youtube you know they'll they'll automate that process for you too uh, others don't do that and they just focus on the audio. Some have got really good tools to help you with some of the data to help your podcast be found and things like that. Others don't. Um, so yeah, there, there is, there's, you need a podcast hosting site. And all that's ultimately going to do is it's going to store all your podcasts and then it's going to create what we call an RSS feed, which is a bit of old school sort of technology in a way. It's been, been around for a long time and many people in the podcasting world will say like, I'm we would move on from the, the, this kind of this kind of method but still the same so we create an we create a, we have a post a podcast hosting site we have an rss feed and then that rss feed usually through your podcast hosting site is sent or, or you know shown to apple podcasts and spotify and so on they usually have an inbuilt process in each of them to get your podcast to those places so don't worry too much if you're then thinking well that's that's fine i've got my podcast host but how do i get it from here to spotify they usually have some tools built in so it's fairly click fill in a form wait for the approval process some approval processes are very quick um apples will want you for example to have a, a podcast connect um uh, like a login basically 
which is all again it sounds more complicated it's all very straightforward the podcast host will will guide you through this stuff and will get your podcast to all those places so just worry about the podcast host and getting to the right place also don't fear that it is a like a one and done like that's it once i've made this decision i can't you know so i'm going to agonize over it i've i've moved back and forth and it hasn't disrupted my service at all between different podcast uh, hosting sites so generally it doesn't disrupt your service so you're not tied you're not wedded to it for forever like so if you if you love you start with buzzsprout you you think this actually this isn't doing what i wanted to do and then you move to captivate that's fine yeah, absolutely. And I think m- most of those big hosts, they actually p- uh, provide a migration service. You know, it's they actually do. very easy to move to one to the other. And, and, and I just mentioned Captivate there. I'll give a little shout out to Captivate because uh, they're the platform that we use uh, simply because they're in South Yorkshire here in the UK. They're, they are literally oh, right. <laughs> about an hour away from where we live. So, so yeah, an amazing uh, company that we use as well. Um, but it's interesting talking about this because, again, We've mentioned barriers to entries a few times, and this is what can turn a lot of people off. They think it's going to be really technical about getting your podcast listed on all these platforms, but it's astonishingly easy. You know, as you said, it's a couple of clicks um, through your podcasting um, host to actually get yourself listed with iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, you know, all those services. And even doing things like metadata, and I want to be a little bit careful when we go really, really technical talking like this, but metadata, it's just the extra information which is pushed along with your audio. So it might be the title of your podcast, it might be um, the episode number, it might be your um, your cover art and things like that. As long as you're using one of these professional platforms, that handles all that kind of really technical stuff for you. It, it really has become so easy, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. That stuff is is incredibly easy. Uh, I'll just uh, sort of me- mention on that point, really, because you know, whilst we're talking about the the, the titles and so on and so forth, because I think it's it's something I see a lot. So it's probably worth just a little a little call out is how people go about finding podcasts in the first place. Um, you know, like where they discover them, um, and how important things like the title of the show are and the title of the the episodes. Um, so I see so many people who come up with a real cool title for their podcast that's called like, um, I'm trying to, I don't want to offend anyone here if I, go, if I don't want to accidentally say the name of somebody's podcast, like, I don't know, like say like, um, cozy chat, you know, like whatever, like, you know, that's, that's not a very good title, but, um, and apologies if your podcast is called cozy chat, but, um, you know, th- this, these kind of titles that are very non-specific, you know, they they just sound a bit buzzy and so on. And it's not that you're you're destined to fail if you do that, but 40% of people find their podcast through literally going into the podcast app and searching for a subject. So make of that what you will, you know, if, if, if and that's the biggest amount. So there's no, there's no bigger way to find podcasts, believe it or not. 40% is through searching the app. So think about that from a point of view of if your podcast is called, you know, Cozy Chat, but it's actually about vegan business, then you might be better off calling it Vegan Business Tribe. <laughs> you know? Exactly. So- I mean, that is why we have the Vegan Business Tribe podcast. It says what it, it is on the tin. It is you know, what it yeah, is. Yeah, <laughs> And that is so important. I mean, a little bit just like putting your um, descriptions as well. Um, you have to remember most people do listen to podcasts on mobile devices and, and apps and things like that. So when someone's just scrolling through on their phone, they get only a little snippet sometimes of a description of what that episode is as well. So if you start that saying, you know, your episode description saying, in this
this episode, recorded several days ago, brought to you by blah 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 you know, someone won't actually see what the episode is. So one of the little tips we use is um, I will put just in a sentence what the episode is at the start of the description and then put a longer description after that, just for people who are just looking through the snippets. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And, and I've seen people go down like transcript routes as well, just th- thinking of a search point of view. And I think that's obviously it's the right thing to do from an accessibility point of view. Um, but it will also help you from a discoverability perspective, If it, even if it's like on your website that you have, that's where the transcripts of my podcasts live. But um, I've had many people come to my show through a transcript, you know, through the fact that the, the full episode is there and, it, you know, 58 times it mentions a particular subject they're searching for that subject and so therefore i've come up in a search result so you know consider all of the data that surround every every time you're filling in a field about an episode or a title or you know really consider it and like like you said there david think about the device that it's being consumed on Uh, if, if you're typing it into youtube does it need to be slightly different to does the title need to be slightly different in youtube I've done, I've done that before where I've put a slightly different title of the episode in YouTube to the title in Apple Podcasts. I have to admit, I've done this so many times where I've actually originally come up with possibly quite a cryptic or a cool sounding title for a podcast episode. And every time Lisa looks at it and goes, nope, say what it is, <laughs> say what you're talking about in this episode. And she's 100% right because, you know, when you've got those, you know, hundreds of episodes, people are just scrolling through that and they want to see immediately what each one of those episodes is. They don't want to have to work it out like a crossword puzzle of what they're going to be listening to. So, you know, that, that's all really, really important. Yeah, like there's, there's so many celebrity podcasts out there at the moment. And so it can be tempting to look at what they do and think I'll replicate that. But you kind of have to remember, you know, if Louis Theroux's got a podcast out and he calls it Grounded, and you're like, well, what, what's that? It doesn't matter because he's Louis Theroux. <laughs> like, so it'll be found because when you search Louis Theroux, you'll find but when podcast. You, well, you'll find it. But when you search Jim Moore, you're not going to find it if I've called it Grounded. You know, like, well, if you search for Ground, you know, you, basically you're not going to find me. <laughs> so, so don't so say, I'm with Lisa. Say exactly what it is. Be really crystal clear. Um, don't assume people are just going to find you through the virtue of, I mean, there are a lot, it's over 4 million podcasts um, that are out, you know, in the world. So there, there is an awful lot of podcasts out there. Um, I mean, I, I, I could go into chapter and verse about why I, I still think there's tons of room for that, that growth, but um, you still, still, you have to be found, you have to be discoverable. Okay, so we're, we're kind of coming to the end of the process now. And I think if you have been following these steps, you've pretty much got your own podcast online. You've got it on Spotify and iTunes and all the other places. And and again, going from deciding to do one to having it on iTunes, that's only two or three days you know, to actually that whole process. But actually, that's possibly the easy part in many ways, because once you've got that podcast online, you know, as we just said, yes, people can start finding it, but there are those millions of podcasts out there. So I'm just going to put you on the spot now, Jim. So have you got any general strategies and tips of ways to actually start promoting your podcast? How can you actually get it into people's ears? Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll certainly try. I mean, I think they are... um there'd probably be things you're expecting to hear, but I'm more than happy to. So I think we talked about the, the big one there. Like I said, 40% of people find their podcast research. So think about that. That's that's number one. So if you've got a particular subject, particularly if you're doing an interview podcast, don't, don't bury the lead. You know, if you've got somebody who is well-known, their name needs to be up front in the title. If you've got somebody who's less well-known, but the subject is is very pertinent right now, 
the subject needs to be in the title. You know, think about that. From then, I'd think, you know, if you've got video, then you then that gives you an extra advantage. But even if you haven't, think about making video content out of your audio, like things like audiograms and, and things like this. There are lots of apps that will help you do that, things like Headliner and Mojo and all kinds of different amazing apps that you and just can get. To, uh, and just to describe those audiograms, that's where you'll get, it's almost like, like a GIF, isn't it? And, and yeah. You, so you'll have the audio playing, but you'll also have subtitles on there as well, you know, just so people can actually read along with, with it. Yeah. And they're really good for sharing on social media. Yeah, they'll often have like a little, you, you, you'll recognise them when you see them. You'll have that graphic equaliser kind of like yes. often in them to show that there's some talking going on and then either a still image or a clip of something else or a gif of something and subtitles or, or whatever it is. So you can you can re- still repurpose it even if you're not ready to commit to video and things like that. So le- And that, that, I suppose, leads into the point about leveraging the networks that you're already in. You know, if, you're, if you've got a massive following on LinkedIn, got a big following um in a social media platform then obviously leverage that you know that that's the place where people who are interested in you or at least are following you are might be interested in listening to a podcast that you are part of the other big thing i'd sort of say with this is um podcast listeners listen to podcasts so and i know that sounds like quite the obvious statement to make i tell you what jim that took me a long time to work that out yeah you, you, you actually told me this quite a while ago now what, what do you mean but but once you explained it and once i started thinking about it this is actually really important so just just go into that a little bit deeper yeah so po- podcast listeners they they they're podcast obsessives they're, they're part of their they're often part of their daily routine once people get into the world of podcasts they they tend to listen a lot I think the average is like six or seven podcasts a week of different descriptions um, once you're kind of in. Um, and so thinking about that from a point of view of like, if you have other podcasters in your network, then be be on their podcasts, be, get them on your podcast. You know, as long as your subjects are, you know, symbiotic sort of thing, then, then do that. I think the more you can um support one another in that space the better because it's not competitive insofar as like people have only got space for one podcast and that's it you know they will listen to multiple podcasts particularly in an area that they're into so i for a long time felt you know very competitive about other vegan podcasts and so on and kind of thought well you know this is pretty niche as it is like there's only so many podcasts vegans can listen to um but actually i think i found the opposite like people listen to a lot of podcasts on subjects that they're interested in you know they might take four or five different takes on it so if you if you can support one another in that space be on each other's podcast then i think that that is a a a really important thing engage with the the communities as well you know like again podcasting is podcasts and podcast fans you'll see I see some people who follow my podcast will also follow another three or four vegan podcasts and they'll be commenting on those spaces and so on and so forth. So be part of those those spaces too. Be part of those conversations. You know, don't don't see it as a competitive but a sort of, you know, a, a symbiotic relationship. Um and I think that will that will help just get your name out there as well and people seeing that oh, there's another vegan podcast there that maybe that's interesting too. And like that person's had the same guest on as me and so on and so forth. So, you know, I think, I think that's, that's a good space to be in. Well, Jim, 
this has been a podcasting masterclass and it's been absolutely brilliant. So just to wrap us up, as we said at the start, you do indeed provide a lot of the services that we've been speaking about to people who are either, you know, looking to start up their own podcast or people who are running podcasts in the early days and just want a little bit of advice. Um, so what kind of support do you actually give people? And, and if people want to contact you, um, what, what do they actually do? Where, where do they find out more about Bloody Vegan Productions? Yeah, so first first thing to do is head to the the website bloodyvegansproductions.com and that's vegans with an s on the end, not not Vaughn. I'm not the only one. Uh, so bloodyvegansproductions.com uh, or email me at jim at bloodyvegansproductions.com. Um, and essentially, what what I can do for for your podcast is is really anything in the, in the podcasting space. Like like you said, for some people, it is just I want a, an hour to sit down and just chat about what what a podcast is how do i put one out all the stuff we've just talked about or they might have a very specific like let's just go down the rabbit hole on microphones or whatever it is your advice or i've had some people with like you know showing me their room like with a with a with their webcam like like let's have a look around your room and see what we can do to make this sound a little bit better things like kit hire in there as well so if you really just want to you want a whole project managed holistically you don't want to buy anything at all um then then i can support with that too so i'm doing that for a couple of people at the moment um for some people it's just i i record it i know what i'm doing but just here's a here's a, um, a google drive or a icloud drive or whatever you, you you particularly want to use we transfer and um there's my weekly mp3 i'd like you to edit it write me some show notes uh give me three social media clips uh that i can use as reels and um you know come up with an episode title so it can be that uh it can be producer in the space i've done that for a few people as well um, either virtually in the space or literally in the space. So if you want to record an interview and you just don't want to be looking at whether it's still recording and all the rest of it, and then you want to edit it afterwards and you don't want to touch the MP3 file, all you want to do is pitch up somewhere and talk. Um, there's that kind of the, the full uh, producer kind of packet too. So pretty much any, if it's about podcasts, then Jim at bloodyvegansproductions.com. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant promo for yourself, Jim. And I love the idea of a, you know, producing the space. That's almost going back to when we used to record in the uh, recording studios. We'd always have someone in, in a little glass box in the corner, you know, and they give you a little bit of peace of mind that, yes, the recording's happening. You, you, you're not getting to the end of a session like this and going, oh, you know, crap, I, 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 I didn't actually <laughs> press record at the start. Yeah, yeah. I, I did just check when we said that and I am recording, yeah. so that's brilliant. So, Jim, thank you so much for your time today. This this has been absolutely a brilliant session and, and i know that you're also available in the vegan business tribe community hub as our podcasting expert as well if anyone's going there to look for advice but i would urge you to go and check out jim's own the bloody vegans podcast as well it is a fantastic podcast what what, what um what episode number are you up to now jim 129 i think something wow. like that something brilliant. like that yeah brilliant. And, and all, all available on youtube and, and and as well as the podcast providers fantastic and you have interviewed some absolutely amazing people so uh, that is it so jim thank you so much for your time and i'm sure we'll pick this up again soon thanks so much david i know that i always say this when you come back to me in the studio after listening to one of these sessions but that was truly 
a really good session. And just to echo that point about not letting the technology or your experience hold you back. The important part is just to get started on your own podcast. And you will, just like we have, evolve. You will work it all out the more practice that you have. And once you know that podcasting is for you and it's bringing you real benefit, that's when you can start investing in kit or even getting someone like Jim to edit and distribute your podcast for you. So that's it. So do go check out the website for more great content like this. And if you know somebody else who is thinking about starting their own vegan podcast, then do send them a link to this episode. We get a lot of our new listeners from shares and recommendations. So if you're in a position to do either of those things, then I will be forever grateful. Thank you so much for listening. Lisa and I, we really appreciate you taking the time to listen to these podcasts, and especially when it's a slightly longer episode like today. And I'll see you on the next one.